So I know when you look at me, you think, mechanic, right? <laughs> Here in my tangerine-colored shirt and my periwinkle pants. I'm thinking, Sean is a, you know, you, you, my hands are as soft as chinchilla fur. That's all I'm going to say, all right? I, and they are clean all the time. I, I do not get my hands dirty or greasy or anything. I've, I've never been a mechanic. I've never been very good at fixing cars. Uh, and, and I really stopped trying after this one incident when I was a kid. Uh, Mom said that the car needed oil. The, ca the car was running low on oil. I'm like, I'll put the oil in the car. You know, I can do this. So I, I go over, I lift the hood, and I uh, put the thing in place, and I, I reach down, and I pull out the dipstick, and, oh, yep, it's low, all right. So I go and I grab a funnel, because I know what I'm doing. I grab a funnel, and I stick it in the hole where I just pulled the dipstick out. <laughs> and I take a quart of 10W30, pour it right down the the hole right down the funnel into the thing, and, uh, and sure enough, I filled the transmission with 10W30. <laughs> True story. Like I said, I don't work on cars anymore, <laughs> and for good reason. I don't know how much it cost <laughs> to fix the car after that. Uh, I think my dad had to drain the transmission and all kinds of stuff, and so he was not very happy with me, and he didn't let me touch the car after that. So, But I, I tell you what, um, I did work on cars for a while. Uh, in my first ministry down in Atwood, Illinois, I had a bivocational ministry. I was working part-time at the Tire and Lube Express at Walmart in Champaign-Urbana. Now, I never told them the story of the transmission because otherwise I would have been relegated to cashier duty, which is what I really wanted, uh, which I should have told them the story. But anyway, I was, uh, I was uh, uh, kind of a, you know, Mr. Goodwrench, sort of. Um, I, I could actually, I learned how to change oil. Uh, I learned how to fix tires, rotate tires, balance tires, replace batteries and stuff. And, and I tell you what, one thing I learned um, is that the people who design cars, automotive engineers, are um, not very nice. We, there was like a guy who brought in a, like a late model uh, Monte Carlo, and we had to change the battery in it. Do you know where the battery is on a late model Monte Carlo? Uh, it's underneath the windshield washer reservoir. That's what I said. What? <laughs> Who does? I mean, how many times in your life are you ever going to have to change out the windshield washer reservoir? But how many times are you going to have to change out the battery? At least once or twice, right? But no, you got to take the windshield washer reser fluid reservoir out in order to get to the battery. It was goofy. Anyway, lesson learned. So um, I would change oil. Uh, I would. Uh, I never got underneath the car again. Chinchilla hands. Um, don't want them dirty, uh, but uh, I would change. I would fill the, the oil in the right place where it actually went. Um, I would uh, change tires. Uh, I could I could get a tire off a rim and, and and replace it and seal it and fill it and everything. Get it back in the car. No no time flat. You know I I was a, a real you know kind of a, a mechanic. You know right. And I know you're thinking this has got to be a made up story. No, it's absolutely true. Um, I, and I enjoyed it. I liked working on cars. It was a lot of fun. You know, but one thing I learned about working on cars is that there are two different kinds of tools. There are tools that are meant to diagnose a problem and tools that are meant to fix a problem, right? Tools that are meant to diagnose, tools meant to fix. So like, for example, uh, if I could take a meter and I could hook it up to the battery, I could tell you whether or not the battery was holding a charge or not and whether or not the battery needed to be replaced. But the meter I use to check the battery is not the meter I would use to, or is not the tool I would use to replace the battery. 
Or I could take a tire and I could put it in a tub of water and I could spin it and, and figure out where the hole was in the tire that needed to be fixed. But again, the tub of water isn't going to fix the problem. It can only diagnose the problem. Uh, same thing goes uh, for uh, balancing a tire. I could put it on the balancing machine and I could spin it at 45 miles an hour uh, and I could tell you where the, the tire was out of balance and I could fix and balance the tire. But again, the machine itself wasn't what was used to fix the problem. It was the, I needed different tools. And when it comes to our spiritual life, I think sometimes we try to fix our spiritual problems with the same tools uh, that we use to diagnose them. And there are two different kinds of tools when it comes to diagnosing our spiritual problems and fixing our spiritual problems. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because I think sometimes we find ourselves trying to fix our sin problem with the law. We try to fix our sin problem with rules and commandments and laws, when in reality, they cannot fix our sin problem. And actually, they can only make it worse. And we'll talk about that for a little bit today. Uh, we find ourselves in a prison, kind of a, a prison of, of sin, a prison of shame, and prison of guilt, uh, and when we're spiritually speaking, and we don't know how to get out of it. It's like we're between a rock and a hard place when it comes to our spiritual lives. Between the rock of sin and the hard place of shame and guilt. And the tools that we sometimes think that we use to fix our sin problem really can only just diagnose it. And so like I said, we're going to talk about that for a little while today. We're going to talk about how God uh, fixes our sin problem and how Jesus fixes our sin problem. Because like I said, we'll find ourselves in a prison of of sin and guilt and shame, and we don't know how to get out of it. But I believe that Jesus frees us from prison, that prison of sin, guilt, and shame. So we're going to talk about that today. Uh, I think that Jesus is the only one who can truly free us from these prisons that we find ourselves in. In fact, in John 8, 36, Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That Jesus is the only one who can free us from our sin, guilt, and shame. Now, let's face it, we all get there, right? We all sit in a prison cell of sin. We're all sinners. We're all paddling the same boat. We're all in the same canoe, folks. You've got your oar. I've got mine. And we're just paddling along. But Jesus wants to set us free from the prison of sin. And if you're not in a prison of sin, if you feel like you've done pretty good, and then you mess up, and let's face it, we all mess up. We all sin against God. We do the things that we're not supposed to do, or we do the things that we, we don't do the things that we should do. We say things that are mean. We hurt people. Uh, we, uh, we, we think things that we shouldn't think. And you know what? We're all sitting there in that prison of, of guilt and shame going, I'm just a rotten person. I, know, I don't know about you, um, maybe you're not. Maybe you're like, oh, I'm fine. But if you're like me, you sit there and think, man, I'm just a terrible person. I can't believe some of the stuff I do. I can't believe some of the struggles I still have. Some of these sins that have been dogging me for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. What in the world is wrong with me? If, I, if only I could do this, if only I could do that. And we sit in a prison of guilt and shame over the sins we commit or the acts of righteousness that we don't do. And we feel terrible. I know I do. And so this sermon today is for us. It's for us. So 
those of us who either sit in the prison of sin and realize how lousy we are, or those of us who sit in the prison of guilt and shame, not understanding why God would want anything to do with us at all. It's for us. So we are in Galatians chapter 3. And uh, if you brought a Bible, great. Or if you're watching online, uh, grab your Bible and turn to Galatians 3. Uh, We're in verses uh, 15 through 25. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 824. You can use your favorite app on your smartphone or tablet, or the words will be on the screen as well. We want everybody to be able to follow along this morning. Uh, we've been studying the book of Galatians here at GFCC, and we've been looking at it every, every Sunday since pretty much the beginning of the year. And we're talking about a series called Jesus Frees Us, and it's the freedom that we have in Jesus. Now, if you're like me, freedom is one of those tough topics. Uh, Christian freedom is, is a tough topic of what does it mean to actually be free? And so we've been examining different aspects of how Jesus frees us. Uh, we talked about how Jesus frees us from our past. We talked about how Jesus frees us to receive a promise. Uh, and so we've looked at different aspects of freedom, and today we're going to talk about how Jesus frees us from prison, the prison of sin, guilt, and shame. Uh, Paul is in the midst of, of seven arguments uh, for why we are freed by faith. And uh, we're gonna, we looked at three of them last week. We looked at three arguments last week. One was that the, we received the Holy Spirit by faith when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, when we believe in Jesus. Uh, we repent from our sins, confess our faith, and get baptized, that God fills us with the Holy Spirit. And the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives uh, is the evidence uh, that he is uh, within us and changing us and transforming us. It's a process called sanctification. It's a fancy word for saying transformation, that the Holy Spirit changes us and makes us look more like Jesus in the way that we love, serve, and forgive people. Uh, so uh, the Holy Spirit is one evidence that we have salvation by faith. Uh, another evidence uh, is uh, another argument Paul made was about Abraham and how Abraham received uh, righteousness. He was declared right with God. He was okay with God uh, before he ever obeyed the commandment to be circumcised or ever obeyed the commandment to sacrifice his son Isaac, which he didn't end up doing uh, because God saved Isaac at the last minute. Uh, and then the last uh, argument that he makes is about how Jesus became a curse for us, that Jesus became cursed when he was hung on the tree, when he was hung on the cross. He became a curse for us so that we would not have to suffer the curse of sin. And the, and the consequences of our sin. Jesus frees us from the, from the curse. So those are the three arguments that he talked about last week, and we're going to look at a couple more today. So if you've got your Bible turned, and we're going to look at Galatians 3, verses 15 through 18 first, as we take this in four little sections. Verse 15. He says, Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, the scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. So when God called Abraham to be his people, that the descendants of Abraham would be his people, he made him a promise, and part of that promise was the land of Canaan, uh, what we know as today as modern-day Israel. Uh, that was part of the promise, but it was also an inheritance of eternal life that would come through his seed. And again, uh, 
Paul is quick to point out that the seed is singular, not plural. In uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. That Hebrew word for offspring there is singular. It's not, it's not plural. Genesis 13, 50, All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. Again, singular. And Genesis 24, 7, The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household, this is Abraham talking, in my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring, singular, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. And he's talking about Isaac, his son. But what Paul says is that the seed he's talking about, the offspring he's talking about, is not Isaac, it's Jesus. Because if you look at the beginning of Matthew, in the genealogy of Jesus, Jesus was a direct descendant of Abraham. Okay? And so what Paul is saying is that this covenant that God made with Abraham to give him this land and to give him this inheritance was a, an inheritance made by a promise, a covenant made by faith. It's kind of like what we would look at today as a modern day will. Okay? So when you fill out a will, uh, there's only one way to amend the will, and that is the person who makes the will is the only one who can amend it and only up until the time that they pass away. So after the person who makes the will passes away, it can no longer be amended. It can no longer be changed. So God made this covenant with Abraham. He made this will of this inheritance to Abraham. And then what he says is that when Abraham dies, the, the covenant, the promises cannot be changed. And, if they, and the only one who could change them was God. So when Abraham died, some four, five, six hundred years later, the law was brought into to effect. And so basically what he's saying is that Abraham received this promise. He receives the inheritance by faith, not by following the law. Because once Abraham died, the covenant was sealed. Does that make sense? All right, so the covenant is sealed. It can't be modified. It can't be changed because Abraham has died. So the, the offspring will receive the inheritance by faith, not by following the law. And that's what this whole argument is all about is whether or not you have to follow the law in order to become a Christian. And specifically in Galatians, it has to do with circumcision. That, that they said that you'd have to be circumcised to become a Jew outwardly before you could become a Christian. And Paul is saying, no, that's not the case. Jesus frees us from the law, from following the law, and from rule-based religion. Instead, he frees us to have a loving relationship with God by grace through faith in Jesus. Okay, we tracking? Good? Good. All right. Let's keep going. Verses 19 and 20. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed, Jesus, to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. So let me talk about that angel part real quick. That uh, when, when uh, Moses received the, the Ten Commandments, when he received the law uh, on Mount Sinai, uh, the belief is, is that, and again, there's like 200 different interpretations for this passage, uh, but the, the, the belief is, is that uh, God spoke through an angel and gave the law through angels to Moses when he was up on Mount Sinai. So kind of don't dwell on that, but the most important thing to dwell on in these two verses is the fact that the tool that God gave us to diagnose our sin problem is the law, but the law cannot fix our sin problem. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. So the tool that we use to diagnose our sin problem is the law. And the law points out the fact that we are sinners. And uh, every time you hear a commandment, you think, man, I don't keep that one. 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 You know, it's like, do not covet. 
Coveting is, is wanting something that somebody else has so bad that you're willing to do anything to take it. All right? So do not covet. Oh, man, I covet other things. And, and, and then it says, do not steal. It's like, well, that's a good idea. If I really want it that bad, I could just steal it. I just take it. It's like all of a sudden now I'm committing two sins. And the law keeps pointing out the fact that I'm a sinner. It keeps diagnosing my sin problem. But it can't fix my sin problem. That's what Paul is saying here, is that the, the sin, the, 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 the law cannot fix our sin problem. It is only Jesus who can fix our sin problem. We'll talk about that in just a second. Keep going. Verses uh, 21 and 22. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. That when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, he frees us from the prison of sin. And you may think, I don't feel like I am free from sin. I still struggle with sin. You are free from sin's power and sin's consequences. Jesus frees you when he gives you the Holy Spirit. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he fills you with the Holy Spirit. You have the power of God dwelling within you to overcome sin, to turn away from sin in repentance, to, to uh, start living a life of righteousness. And the longer you've been following Jesus, you probably figure this out. Uh, you come to realize there are certain sins that you just, you, that dog you all the days of your life. But there are also sins, if you look back five years, ten years, some of the sins you used to commit, you think, man, I don't do that anymore. That's the power of God within you. That's the freedom that Jesus gives you from the prison of sin. But not only from the prison of sin's power, but from the prison of sin's consequences. And that's where fear comes into effect. That's where the prison of fear uh, comes into play. Because when we realize that we're sinners, and when we, re when we realize just how bad we are, and the sins that we commit time and time again, and how we do not deserve God's love, or His mercy, His grace, or His forgiveness, when we realize these things, it can make us terrified, it can make us afraid. Well, what if God doesn't forgive my sins? Or what if God is going to send me to hell because I'm a terrible sinner? Jesus frees us from the prison of fear because His grace is enough. His grace is enough. It is sufficient to forgive our many sins. So, Jesus frees us from a prison of sin and its power and its consequences. But more than that, he frees us from a prison of guilt and shame. We'll talk about that in just a second. Let's finish this out by looking at verses 23 through 25. It says, Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. I love what F.F. Bruce said. He says, sin uh, is the jailer and the law is the warden. Sin is the jailer. Sin throws us into prison, but the law keeps us there. The, the law is the, is the warden. So sin throws us into jail. The law keeps us there, keeps us in prison. But Jesus sets us free from the law. He sets us free from the prison of sin and shame. I think about it like this. Think back to the, the tools, all right? The, the tools of diagnosis and the tools of fixing. The law has diagnosed your sin problem. Jesus has fixed it. Does that make sense? The law has diagnosed your sin problem, but Jesus has fixed it. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins and my sins, he fixed our sin problem so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. 
when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, when you receive his gift of grace and his gift of salvation, Jesus frees you from that prison of sin. And he frees you not only from this prison of sin, but the prison of guilt and shame as well. Because that's where we live, right? Jesus frees us from the prison of sin, and he frees us from the prison of guilt and shame. And we live there too long. We stay in prison much too long, in a place that we don't belong, in a place that we don't have to be. Jesus has broken the chains. He has thrown open the prison doors, and he invites you to walk out. He invites you to drop your chains because he unlocked them. He unlocked the prison doors. So if you have yet to put your faith and trust in Christ, if you've yet to receive his gift of salvation that he can, only he can offer, only Jesus can forgive your sins. And if you have yet to receive that gift of salvation, the time is now. The day has come for you to receive this gift of forgiveness and salvation, to be set free from the prison of sin. Because sin is holding you captive. Sin is holding you hostage. Sin is, is, is holding you in prison. But you can be free. And Jesus wants to free you from the power and the consequences of sin today. If you'll put your faith and trust in Christ, he will forgive you your many sins. And maybe, maybe you've already received Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've already been baptized, and, and that's great, that's awesome. But yet you're still living in a, in a prison of guilt and shame. You think, I keep messing up. There's no way God would ever keep forgiving me. You know, I do all the sinning. But I got news for you. Jesus does all the forgiving. You may do all the sinning, but Jesus does all the forgiving. And he delights in forgiveness because forgiveness means restoration. He reconciles you to himself. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you're like me and you wonder, well, when does Jesus forgive my sins? I mean, how long does it take? I mean, do I have to sit here and wallow in self-loathing and guilt and shame for a while? How many of you wallow in self-loathing? Anybody, any self-loathers here today? I'm a self-loather. And I think to myself, man, I just keep messing up time and time again. Keep messing up. Why do I keep doing these same things? Why do I keep struggling with these same sins? You know, I, I read the Bible, and I read about this and that and these commands and these uh, laws and things, and it's like, man, I violate half of those before 9 a.m. And I think, what would God ever want with me? I, I, I don't even deserve to get up and talk. I don't even deserve to, to walk in freedom at all. Why, why, what would God ever want with, with me? And maybe you're there too. Maybe you're wallowing in guilt and shame and self-loathing and you just, you hate the things that you do. You're in good company, by the way. Because Paul said in the book of Romans that he hated what he did. And he didn't understand why he did what he did when he knew that he didn't want to do it. Yet he does it anyway. I resonate with that. I hate my sin. And yet it still dogs me. I hate the temptation that comes my way and I hate when I give in. I hate it. And I sit there in guilt and shame when I've sinned again. And I sit there in guilt and shame, and I'm, I'm in this prison of guilt and shame. And maybe you're sitting on the bench next to me going, man, what are we doing here? And that's when I hear the voice of Jesus. And he asks, what are you doing here? Why are you in this prison? Why are you chained with shackles that are not even locked? Why won't you just drop the chains and walk out the door? 
because it's over. You don't have to sit here anymore. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When God forgives your sins, he forgives them now. When God forgives your sins, he forgives them immediately. He doesn't sit there and go, okay, 60 seconds of shame. Three hours of shame for that one. That was a really bad one. Three hours of shame. A week of shame for you, Sean. We've been trying to, we've been trying to get through this for a while. So you need to sit in shame for, for about a week. No, when God says, I forgive your sins, he says, I forgive them all, and I forgive them now. Walk out of the prison. Drop the chains. By God's amazing grace, your chains walk out of the prison today. You don't have to sit there in sin and guilt and shame for one second longer. But God says, I forgive you now and for always. This is the God of grace who wants to set you free because Jesus frees us.